Good afternoon, and welcome to the Netflix Q4 2022 earnings interview. I'm Spencer Wong, VP of Finance, IR, and Corporate Development. Joining me today are Executive Chairman Reed Hastings, Co-CEOs Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters, and CFO Spence Newman. Our interviewer this quarter is Jessica Reef Ehrlich from Bank of America. As a reminder, we'll be making forward-looking statements, and actual results may vary. With that, Jessica, over to you for your first question. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me today. So, Reed, the big announcement about the management changes. Can you give us some more color on the process and how you came to this decision? You know, Jessica, it uh, feels like yesterday was our IPO. Uh, we were covered in red envelopes. Uh, we IPO'd at about a dollar. Um, hopefully, some of you have held the stock um, the full 21 years. Um, and when I think of the evolution, the three of us and, and so many other incredible Netflix uh, employees, to go from DVD service um, to streaming leader in films and television and emerging player in games, and now uh, to have over 230 million members, it's just, uh, well, Jim Collins probably said it best. He calls it a good start. We've had a good start. But, you know, honestly, we dream of the whole world finding their favorite entertainment on Netflix. And we shorthand that as entertain the world. And the three of us have been working together for 15 years now trying to figure out how do we get through this issue, that issue, how do we grow. And I couldn't be happier to complete our succession process. Um, it really started about 10 years ago with the board, um, trying to think through um, how could this work. They both have uh, such amazing uh, talents and gifts, and to find a platform um, where they've been able to contribute is, is uh, fantastic. About two and a half years ago, we took a partial step. Ted is co-CEO, Greg is COO. Um, we continue to just make um, super progress, and, you know, frankly, more and more they've been leaving the company and this is acknowledging really uh, in formal terms how we've been operating, you know, for at least the last uh, few quarters. Um, you know, it's just a great feeling. And when I think about uh, the stock appreciation over the last uh, decade, um, I know that they want to beat that record. Um, and uh, I'm all for that. Uh, I'll be executive chairman, helping them uh, everywhere I can. Um, but it's really uh, theirs to lead and, and to do that energy and hustle and intensity um, that we've been doing. Um, they're very ready. That's what's driving the timing. Um, and so I could not be happier. Uh, so back over to you. Thank you. Subjectively, I'll just add that this may be the smoothest transition we've seen in media for quite a while. Now, for Ted and, and Greg, what does this mean for Netflix? Does this signal a change in strategy or approach? Um, Jessica, let me start with uh, first and foremost to thank Reed um, personally and professionally. Um, he has been, and I trust will continue to be, uh, you know, a role model, a mentor, a friend. Uh, in 22 plus years, Reed has positively changed my life in every way imaginable. Uh, and he leaves some big shoes for Greg and I to fill. Uh, unfortunately, we have four feet to do it with, so that's a good thing. Um, uh, in so many ways, the way that Reed's been able to see around corners, that's why he's been thinking about the succession for the last decade. Um, he generously uh, opened up more of a co-leadership model over a decade ago for the he, for he and I, and like he said, two and a half years ago, made it a little more formal. Uh, and in that time, uh, delegating a lot of the day-to-day -to, -day to Greg and I, and in that time, in the two and a half years we've been working together, we've been working together for 15 years, Greg and I, 
But in the last two and a half years, particularly, you know, we've been able to build a really trusting, respectful, and complementary partnership uh, in many ways the same way I have, have with Reed over the years. Uh, and I really do believe that this kind of shared leadership model is going to help us to move fast and to challenge each other, to challenge the company, to raise the new heights. Um, uh, and I'm just incredible uh, what we're able to do. And to your point, this is the leadership team. It's been pretty stable, and that's why that this steady uh, transition feels so steady. Um, this ability of this team has helped us build a great foundation uh, and, a, and a culture that can absorb complexity and change. Uh, and as you saw in this last quarter, can rise to any occasion. Uh, and, Greg, I just want to say I'm, I'm thrilled to be in this with you. And, Reed, we can't thank you enough. Um, thanks, Ted. Uh, it's a real honor to be asked to take on this responsibility and, and join you as co-CEO. And, um, and, frankly, a pleasure to be able to continue working with um, some of the most amazing leaders that I've ever had the pleasure of working with and, and frankly, in my opinion, the best leadership team that Netflix has ever had. So um, I'll just echo Ted's comments. Um, it's been a real um, fun and rewarding experience to work closely with him over the last couple years especially, and I'm, I'm tremendously proud of the partnership that we've developed and the shorthand and, and really how we have been able to take, you know, what are sort of a complementary set of skills and perspectives and seeing different angles um, to different situations. But basically, you know, at the end of the day, we are, I've always found, are ultimately motivated by the same things, which is that we want to serve our members and we want to grow our business, and that is an incredible and powerful aligning process to those different perspectives. So, um, I'm proud of the work that we've done over 22 in the latter half, especially to, to get some more momentum into the business. Um, but I'm even more excited about um, continuing to push that into 23 and follow, you know, the model that Reed has always had of, you know, continually seeking excellence and always striving to be better. So looking forward to that. And then to your specific question, uh, Jessica, you know, we, there's no big strategy shift or big culture shifts. You know, uh, Ted, Reed, and I have been working and sort of grinding through our individual perspectives on this for a long time. And so really we look forward to, um, you know, taking things forward as we um, have been for the last little bit and responding to a dynamic industry and doing the changes that we think are appropriate. But we're not – we don't have a bank of uh, changes that we're uh, – that we've been holding for this moment. So mostly it's continuity and move forward. Great. So – this was originally for Reed, but now, given the the, the, the change in, in uh, leadership structure, maybe for all three of you, for Reed, Ted, and, and Greg, one of the best quotes recently was from John Malone, who said shareholders should build a monument for Reed Hastings. John and Rupert Murdoch ran the dominant global media companies in prior decades and were one of the few media executives who've been able to see around corners. Ultimately, they both sold the bulk of their assets. Netflix is now one of the most dominant global media companies, if not the dominant. What is your view of the next five-plus years? Do you need to get bigger, stay the course? Well, the one thing I'd point out is that what's happening now and what's going to be happening over the next couple of years is that the consumer is moving to streaming. So the way that they watch content at home, uh, delivered to them on Internet, on demand, uh, free of the linear schedule and all those things. That is a change, a fundamental shift in the business, and you've got to be where the consumer is. And that's what we've been focused on since we started streaming, ten, doing original content 10 years ago, uh, but being re really realizing that we're, you know, we really have benefited from being a, a customer-first company and meeting the customers where they are. And we've also had this blessing of not having to unwind our tradi a traditional media business as we built into this one. Uh, so we've always been focused on the future and where the consumers are going, uh, and I think our ability to continue to stay focused on that, because we're 
this is really, I know we've been talking about it for a long time, Jessica, but this is really in its infancy. I mean, you think about as big as we've become and all these things that are happening, and in the U.S., we're about 8% of TV time still. So it's an enormous amount of growth ahead, um, even in markets where we are very well established. So that's the key for us, and I think being able to focus on consumers first uh, and has really been our biggest benefit, and I think it's what led us to uh, those milestones that you just referred to. Greg? Yeah, and Jessica, I would say I think that that translates into being bigger, and I think that means being bigger in terms of touching more uh, members around the world, delivering them incredible entertainment. We'll see that in terms of being bigger, in terms of the amount of engagement that we can drive, the amount of you know hours that we're satisfying them. I'd be bigger in terms of the culture impact this too. I mean, you've seen you know I mean just incredible cultural impact in terms of Wednesday, Stranger Things, the the you know the ramifications that these shows have in terms of the popular culture are significant, and that's going to get bigger too. It also means bigger in terms of revenue and profit streams. So we're looking forward to those as well. Right. So losing subs in 2022 in the market reaction or valuation reset is akin to August 2015 when Bob Iger called out the early decline of pay TV subs and the impact for Disney's ESPN. It will take a while for Disney to build ESPN Plus into a sports streaming giant. And actually, they may, they may never replace the profitability of ESPN at that point in time. Your pivot seems more broad-based by extending genres and going to new areas, whether it's games, fitness, live, etc., do you see any similarities or differences to that momentous inflection point, you know, which has certainly shifted Wall Street's view from subs to profits? I'll, I'll take a shot at that and then Ted maybe weigh in, but I, I think it's a fundamentally different situation. And if you look at where we're at, a significant part of what we need to go do is essentially take the core model that we've been operating, you know, since we've been starting and streaming and just execute it better um, in all dimensions. Uh, and so, you know, whether it's, you know, the incredible content that uh, Bella and Scott's teams are, are producing constantly, how we're talking about that content through the marketing and conversation that we do, the product experiences and business model innovations that we're doing. But a lot of it really fundamentally is about executing that core model better. We're not, you know, there's not a lot of, you know, massive pivots away from a traditional you know, legacy business model that we have to go figure out. We're planting some seeds, you know, in terms of games and things like that, that, um, you know, if we execute well and we're excited about the progress we're seeing so far, we'll represent, you know, the, the you know, future potential for us in terms of growth and more profit opportunities. So that's exciting. But essentially, a lot of this is just, you know, continue to execute the play that we've got and do it better and better. And then, I don't know about the, what the similarities, but I would say that this business is really completely about um, engagement, profit, and revenue. So and we and we've got to grow all of those things, and all those things are really are tied to um, executing on that on the content. When the content's working, the business is working. We grow engagement, we grow revenue, we grow profit. Um, there's an interesting thing, you know, starting in July, um, and you think about from Stranger Things season four, from the phenomena that became, and what we've been able to offer up to our members from that day forward. So they went from Stranger Things to Extraordinary uh, Attorney Wu, which is uh, was a phenomenal success in, throughout Asia and in South Korea, but also it built a big fa- cult fan base in the U.S. Straight into Sea Beast, which is our biggest animated film ever. Straight into Purple Hearts and Gray Man, two of our most watched films ever on Netflix. And then to August, The Sandman and Never Have I Ever Season 3. September, Cobra Kai Season 5. Empress, Cyberpunk is this animated uh, 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 adaptation of a video game that's been hailed as one of the greatest of all time. Uh, Narcos Saint, another monster hit from North, from, uh, North Korea. Uh, the Jeffrey Dahmer story, uh, Monster, 
straight into watcher, so back-to-back hits from Ryan Murphy. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, which just today uh, became the most nominated non-English film in the history of BAFTAs. Uh, only Gandhi has gotten more uh, more nominations in the history of the of BAFTAs, uh, and that's from Germany with the great Ed Berger. And then straight out of there into Enola Holmes too, a big monster success sequel to uh, with with Billy Bobby Brown. And you look at all these things that go back and forth, and they go all the way into January now. With we'll, we'll end the month with uh, you people, Eddie Murphy and Jonah Hill. Uh, any any uh, outlet would kill to have any one of those months as their entire year, uh, and it's our ability to to fire on those cylinders and create hits. But more than that, create the expectation that as soon as you're done with this one, there's another one waiting for you. Jessica, may I just 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 one thing to add? I know we went on, but 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 I just think the analogy is kind of fundamentally different. So with ESPN and the example you gave that. That was a fundamental kind of shift in the industry from, you know, 100-plus million pay TV-connected homes to cord cutting that's on a path down to, you know, mid to high single-digit uh, reductions in that uh, distribution platform each year, and that's in moving in that direction. So it's kind of a shrinking, uh, you know, core distribution platform where you see in our earnings letter the world is shifting from linear to streaming. Even in the largest, you know, there, there is no country where streaming is more than 40% of share of TV time. And in many big countries, as you saw, it's less than 5%. So it's our five work less than 5%, it's less than 10%. So um, it, there's an incredible runway still in the shift from linear to streaming. And so for us, it's about growing into that shift and also obviously competing well and continuously innovating and improving. And what you saw or what we saw and felt when we had that decline in, in, in subscribers, was really near-term limiters in growing into that big market. But the big market is still growing as opposed to fundamentally long-term limiters in that ESPN shift that you, you described. Right. So let's move on to some of the, the drivers of growth, um, both near and medium-term, and start with advertising. So your advertising platform has been open only two months, and you've amazingly given some money back to advertisers, indicating in one way that demands is exceeding supply. Um, the company is, you, you guys have consistently said you're going to crawl, walk, and run. How is the crawl stage going relative to your expectations? Yeah, like you say, it's two months, and I think the, 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 the hardest part is actually that first step when you're crawling because you don't really, you know, know what exactly to expect as you get it going. And now, you know, with two months, you know, we're, it's ridiculously early, but, we you know, we've learned a bunch already, I would say. So, you know, just ticking through this, I mean, I'd say first and foremost is that we were able to launch uh, this very, very quickly. And, you know, the tech is all working. The product experience is good. And that's really testament to lots of hard work um, from both Microsoft and Netflix teams who, you know, who, who worked very hard to make that happen. And it's really rewarding to that to see. Uh, the other, I'd say, pretty significantly fundamental thing is around engagement. And we see that engagement from ads plans users um, is comparable to sort of similar users on our non-ads plans. So that's really a, a promising um, indication. It means we're delivering um, a solid experience uh, and it's better than we modeled. And that's a you know a great sort of fundamental starting point uh, for us to work with. Furthermore, now we're seeing take rate and growth on that ads plan is solid. Um, it's great because partly that take rate and that growth is due to incremental subscribers uh, coming into the service because we have a lower price point. That's uh, $6.99 in the U.S. 
499 euros in Germany, just to give you two examples. And so that elasticity is a real, um, you know, uh, not only a benefit to sort of growing our ad scale and sustainability, but also to the general business. I expect to see that continue to actually grow over the year. That take rate, you know, fits sort of within the the middle of our other plans, which is another really healthy sign. It means that we've got a complementary set of offerings um, that are working to sort of satisfy different needs for different consumers at the right mix of features and price points. So that's quite good. Um, another important one, I think, for the investor community, because it came up a lot before we launched, was plan switching. We aren't seeing, as expected, you know, much switching from high arm subscription plans like premium um, into our ads plan. So the unit economics remain uh, very good as we modeled. So um, so these are all, you know, really good uh, initial sort of progress points. But I think it's, you know, important to reiterate that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, we're crawling uh, and we'd like to get to, to, to sort of, you know, move to the walking phase. We've got a lot to do to get there. So there's a bunch of technical improvements in terms of, you know, um, ad delivery validation measurement. We've got progress already on that, more to do in the next quarter or two. Targeting improvements, which will be better for consumers, more relevant advertising, better for advertisers in terms of more, you know, value delivered, a better set of offerings, um, products for advertisers to buy. We've got a long list of experience improvements that we know we can deliver that will deliver more, more value to both subscribers and advertisers. And there's just also some nuts and bolts stuff that we are learning and improving. Just, you know, things like how do we, you know, do a better job with Microsoft at the ad sales and operations processes. There's so much that we need to do. Both companies need to do to better serve advertisers, serve a, an increasing number of advertisers, and, and meet that demand. So we're just getting started. Uh, we're constantly improving, and we see the trajectory ahead of us, and really our aspirations are you know, ultimately successively over a period of years to basically build, just like we have, you know, essentially in terms of the streaming experience, you know, the the best, most effective, uh, highest quality premium connected TV ads experience as a win for consumers uh, and advertisers and for us as a business. Hey, Spence and Greg, sorry, Jessica. Spencer, Greg, maybe give a little context on Hulu kind of, you know, what we uh, know about uh, Hulu's advertising. They've had a 10-year head start and sort of, you know, how many years will it take us to sort of uh, pass them in, in all of these key dynamics? Greg, you want to go first or you want me? No, I'll hand it over to you. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's see. I mean, Hulu, it's it, it yes, they've, they've had a long head start. They started – in the ads business, they have, you know, we would estimate reason we obviously don't know exactly, but um, roughly half of their membership is on the ads tier. It's, a, you know, a multi-billion dollar business uh, for them already, and that's a uh, domestic business, U.S. only, um, so lower reach, lower engagement than us. Um, so, you know, you know, the, the, I guess the, the, the short story there is we have, given what we've seen and what what Greg just outlined in terms of the engagement on our ad plan, um, the strength of you know the the um, the uh, the uh, performance in terms of uh, the the monetization kind of the unit economics and our ability to kind of scale in a in a way that is even better than the kind of comparable ad free plan plus providing clearly choice that our members or consumers um, are are seeking out because of the 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 sign up flow that we would expect to be 
you know, as large or larger over time, certainly um, in just our U.S. market and more from there. But it's a, it's a, I just want to emphasize it's a multi-year path. So we're not going to be larger than Hulu in year one, but hopefully over the next several years, um, we can be at least as large and we wouldn't be getting into this business, obviously, as you know, if it couldn't be a meaningful portion of our business. So we're, you know, we're over 30 billion of revenue, 30, almost 32 billion of revenue in 2022. Um, and, you know, we wouldn't get into a business like this if we didn't believe it could be uh, bigger than, you know, at least 10% of our revenue and hopefully much more over time in that mix as we grow. So that's, that's kind of how I see it without putting a specific guide on it. You committed to an upfront market spot, taking CBS's prior spot, CBS Now Paramount spot, which really indicates your long-term advertising goals of being a major advertising platform. Given this is a prime spot on a critical week for advertisers in premium video, like it's just, it is, it's amazing how quickly you just took that slot away. What's the run stage and does, you know, how would you, how, and what's the time frame to get there? Well, I think as Spence talked about it, you know, it, it will be an iterative process. I, um, to your point, it, it does signal we have big aspirations here, and we think there's a big potential opportunity. And so, you know, we're committed to incrementally execute against that opportunity. But, you know, I, I, I do, you know, just back to Spence's point, we are starting from a, you know, a zero base, essentially. Um, and also, we're also starting from a history where, as a non-ads platform, we had a lot of folks who basically joined Netflix you know, fully as, you know, non-ad subscribers. And so I think, you know, that, that we'll be working through that over a period of time. But again, you know, our our goal and aspiration is that this is a very meaningful um, and significant source of revenue and profit for us over many years to come. So, I mean, when you think about the pool of money that you're targeting, you know, linear, let's call it $50, $60 billion business seems like the easy money. Yours, as you You've mentioned already, views are shifting from streaming, you know, to streaming from, from linear. Um, so you, we've seen all of the, you know, kind of eyeballs move. Um, and, and so now you have, like, you know, basically more scale, more reach. But the digital pool is much larger. Um, but in the past, you've said, you've made comments, the companies made comments that, that you can't compete with Google and you know, Meta, um, or it would be incredibly difficult to compete with them. Has this changed? Has your view changed? Not really. I would say that, you know, initially we are we're competing mostly with that sort of traditional, you know, TV advertising pool. Um, now, I think we can layer into that over time components of what has made digital advertising so effective. So you think about the targeting capability, the fact that we're 100 percent signed in, um, fully addressable. If you think about the growing relevance of first party data and how we do that. Um, those are real, you know, big advantages that we can bring relative, certainly, to the, the traditional TV world. But again, you know, the, the, the form that we have, at least, you know, for the next couple of years, will still be in that sort of lean back, primarily in that lean back experience. And so that, you know, lends itself to certain kinds of advertising and certain kinds of advertising goal. And a lot of the demand collection component that, you know, a Google or a Facebook is really good at you know, we won't be well-suited um, to compete with that for at least some time to come. And Jessica, just to add to that, you know, the good news, as you saw in the letter, is that that branded video um, ad market that uh, Greg um, talked about us focusing on is about $180 billion um, uh, globally, ex uh, China and Russia. So we have plenty to do uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of opportunity ahead of just in that area alone. Yeah, no, it's an enormous opportunity, but there's also, besides advertising, 
there's the an enormous opportunity in incremental subscribers, as you you have mentioned. You're the lowest price service, at least now. You're the lowest price service. Can you frame the opportunity in terms of subgrowth? How are you thinking about it? Sure, and just a comment on, on lowest price. I mean, again, we, we don't really think about the pricing uh, question from a competitive perspective. You know, again, we're, we're you know, think of ourselves as a non-substitutal you know, good, you know, when you, uh, you know, uh, when you think about Wednesday or you think about Glass Onion, these are titles you can only see on Netflix. Um, that's extremely powerful. You know, Scott and Bella are delivering more incredible titles that are, that are non-substitutable in that regard. So really, we think about the pricing question as how do we, um, offer a wide range of options for a wide range of consumer needs. We want to make that spectrum even wider as we seek to serve more, you know, members uh, around the world and try and deliver, you know, appropriate value at those different price points. And we're doing a good job of expanding that range. And so then you think about, you know, so there's sort of two pools then of um, incremental subscribers. There's a bunch of, you know, people around the world uh, in countries where, you know, we're not deeply penetrated and we have more opportunity to go attract them. Uh, a component of that is we've got folks that are watching Netflix uh, who aren't paying us, you know, as part of basically borrowing somebody else's credentials. And, you know, our goal is over the this year to, to basically work through that situation and convert many of those folks to be um, paid accounts or to have the account owner pay, you know, for them to get a Netflix subscription. But either way, you know, we're seeking to sort of monetize the viewing value that we're delivering. And then beyond that, you know, it's back to Spence's comment. You know, even our most penetrated market were 8% of, you know, total TV time, which is, a, you know, potentially a relatively narrow lens to think about the broad competitive entertainment offering. So we have huge opportunity to grow the engagement component of that. Several X, you know, we feel like we can get to if we do a great job of executing across all fronts. And that represents a tremendous, you know, opportunity for more entertainment value delivered. And we believe that the revenue, you know, flows from that in time. Before we get to password churn, just one last advertising question. You now have roughly a decade of producing your own IP. Any thoughts on offering a fast service over time, free advertising supported television? Ted, do you want to take this one? Yeah, look, we're, we're, we're open to all these different models that are out there right now, but we've got a lot on our plate uh, this year, uh, both with the, um, the paid sharing and with our launch of advertising and continuing to this slate of content that we're trying to drive to our members. So. Uh, we are keeping an eye on that on that segment um, for sure. So, on the password sharing, what will drive consumers to pay three or four dollars for sharing versus becoming a sub with their own profile? Is it affordability? Is there something else? What what, what do you expect? Yeah, I think there's a range of um, motivations for for different borrowers. So, you know, some of it is economically driven, and so part of a you know what we're trying to do is make sure that we are being responsive to that and finding the right price points, whether in terms of a, a uh, individual account or, you know, an extra member affordance. And obviously, you know, the, the ad-supported plans give us the opportunity to present a lower consumer-faced pricing in those countries where we have advertising. Part of it's just what we call casual sharing, which is, um, you know, uh, people could pay, but, you know, they don't need to, and so they're borrowing somebody's account, and so our job is to give them a little bit of a nudge and to create features that make transitioning to their own account easy and simple. So we have this basically, you know, profile um, export feature, which allows you to take your viewing history and all the great recommendations with you. So, you know, m to your point, there's a range of motivations and I think a range of, of um, solutions that we'll be able to offer to land people in different places. 
Can you provide any details, including the time frame for converting borrowers to paying accounts? Yeah, so you know we've been working hard at this and, and trying to do some uh, some sort of thoughtful experimentation and let our members really speak to us in terms of what set of solutions um, work for them. Uh, so that's the testing that you've seen us uh, do over the last couple of quarters. We feel like we have um, gotten to a good uh, set of features. It's the you know the profile export that I mentioned, but there's also a bunch of um, account management features that we think are important to making this experience work for folks. And so we're ready to roll those out um, later this quarter. Uh, we'll stagger that a bit, you know, as we work, sort of work through um, sets of countries, but we'll really see that happen over the next couple of quarters. And you know, I think it's worth noting that um, this will not be a universally popular move. So there will be um, current members that are unhappy with this move. We'll see uh, a bit of a cancel re reaction to that. We think of this as, you know, similar to what we see when we raise prices, uh, you know, so we get some, some increased churn associated with that for a period of time. But then uh, generally what happens is, you know, both from the, you know, the specific uh, changes that we make, we'll see folks come on as new subscribers, essentially borrowers creating their own accounts or incremental monetization through the extra member that'll happen shortly thereafter. And then clearly our job is to continue to grow value, right? To have more amazing titles that people cannot wait to see. And so whether that's satisfying those members, you know, who make those transitions or, um, you know, winning back essentially folks who uh, have turned off the service and bringing them back onto the service over the months and years to come. And then just, just uh, sorry, I just made maybe just because we touched on it a little bit in the letter, but just to kind of reinforce a little bit of what that looks like in terms of timing and guidance. So um, those dynamics that Greg just walked through because of that, as we kind of start to roll this out later in Q1, um, based on the timing, what we talked about is that, you know, we'll have mo modest growth. We expect in paid net ads in Q1, but um, uh, kind of atypical seasonality where typically Q2 would be a softer paid net ad quarter. Um, it'll probably be a larger paid net ad quarter. And most importantly, what we're most focused on is obviously revenue. That is our primary me primary metric. And what you see is in the guide, um, these revenue initiatives between paid sharing um, rolling out and then scaling ads, um, you don't see much of that in Q1, which is why we're, you know, we're forecasting 8% growth FX neutral in Q1 revenue. But throughout the course of the year, we would expect to see accelerating revenue growth as we roll out uh, paid sharing, um, uh, you know, broadly across our, our our business, and then obviously scale ads throughout the year, which is a more more gradual build. So I just want to kind of highlight that, and that's kind of what you're seeing in the in the in the guidance. And given the revenue drivers of paid sharing and advertising, you know, is it, how are you thinking about price increases in the current year? Is it just too complicated? Is how are you thinking about it? Well, I would say that the two initiatives that you described represent the bulk of our pricing strategy in 23. Um, you know, we anticipate that they'll both be, you know, uh, revenue positive, revenue creative, significantly so um, in, the, in the, you know, according to the details that Spence just offered. Now, you know, having said that, you know, our core sort of pricing approach and theory um, remains the same. And so we're going to look, you know, at the metrics, uh, you know, that our members are, are, you know, giving us and telling us and look for opportunities where we've, you know, I think we've done a good job of creating more value for them. And, you know, for a certain, you know, uh, customer segment in a certain tier in a certain country, we think we've, you know, um, done a good job at delivering more entertainment for them. And then, you know, we'll go back and, you know, uh, opportunistically ask for them to pay a little bit more so that we can sort of keep this, you know, virtuous cycle going and really invest that back into incredible content 
um, and stories. And maybe, Ted, I don't know if you want to highlight anything that you see coming on that side. No, I would just say that, you know, it's the must-seeness of the content that will make the page sharing initiative work. It's that will make the advertising launch work that will make continuing to grow uh, revenue work. Uh, and so it's across film, across television, it's the content that people must see and that it's on Netflix gives us the ability to do that. Um, I'm super proud of the team and their ability to keep delivering on that, you know, month in and month out and quarter in and quarter out uh, and continuing to grow in all these different market segments that our consumers really care about. So that to me is uh, core to all these initiatives working and we've got, uh, we're, we've got the wind at our back on that right now. You amazingly continue to expand the genres of content, which, as you guys have mentioned, clearly drives engagement. But the most recent new genre, which you introduced on your platform in, you know, at the end of last, very end of last month, is fitness. Just in time for your New Year's resolution, yeah. I mean, (laughs) one class online could be could be the price of a Netflix subscription. So, you know, while many of the workouts are bite sized, I mean, some are longer. They're they're you know simple but deceivingly effective. Yeah. Can you talk about what your plans are in this area? And, you know, to the extent you develop more content, it really, as I said, drives value for anyone who would work out anywhere else. So how, how do you define success? And is there anything you could say about, you know, partner economics with Nike? Yeah, um, we can't comment on the partner economics, but I would tell you that we've uh, historically stayed away from fit, the fitness category because it's abundantly available online uh, in many cases for free, as you know. Uh, but we thought if we could partner with a great brand, and Nike is certainly a leading brand in fitness, uh, with really well-produced content, which this content is, uh, and then let's go out to our members and see if it's something that they value. And we'll see that in the engagement and see where, they, where, where we can take it from there. Uh, so I think in that way, you know, get, working with a great partner and the high quality, to your point, of the, of the content itself, um, you know, we'll put it a really good test. Do people want to use Netflix to get, back, to get in shape or to get back in shape? Uh, and if they do, we'll like to keep serving that. And if they don't, we'll keep poking around. So it's a way we kind of were able to test the market at a very high end with a premium brand partner. There's constant speculation that you will experiment with sports, which is an expensive rental business, you know, for, for yeah. many. Does having an advertising offering change your views on offering sports? And any thoughts that you, you know, on like WWE, which is for sale, that could be potentially, you know, it, it I'm just saying that could be owned content, like any views on sports. Yeah, look, I'd say, you know, in sports, our position's been the same, which is, you know, we're, we really, uh, we're not anti-sports, we're pro-profits, and we've not been able to figure out how to deliver profits in renting big league sports uh, in our subscription model. Um, not to say that that won't change, we'll be open to it, but that's where it's at today. Uh, and we're, in WWE, we look at, you know, we have a lot of M&A activity all the time, we look at all of them, but nothing we can comment on. Right. Does, does churn play a role in your investments into live events? You know, while live comedy specials seem to have a value outside of the live window, other events, like you just announced that you're going to, you know, host the SAG Awards, um, sports, obviously, you know, they, they, these have fairly short, useful lives. So how do you balance the investment in live versus the potential to drive advertising dollars? I would look at this as part of just like a other crawl, walk, run scenarios where we are really looking at our content that would benefit creatively from being live. So the results show for one of our competition series that we have or a reunion show that drives news or like the SAG Awards, an opportunity to engage audiences live. And because we've got the shelf space, uh, we can you know, do hours of shoulder programming around the live events and all of those things that our members may enjoy. 
So think of, um, there's nothing particularly novel about live television, as you know, uh, but we are dabbling in it, starting with our Chris Rock Live concert uh, to try to create the excitement around live for those things that are uniquely more exciting to be live. The theatrical release of Glass Onion was incredibly successful in its limited release, but so, you know, for some, it, it looks like you left a lot of money on the table by not continuing beyond the first that one week. Do you have any regrets or, you know, can you give us your thoughts on your evolving film strategy? Well, I'm thrilled with every aspect of the release of Glass Onion, uh, you know, starting with Ryan Johnson and his great film and Scott Stuber and the film team for bringing it to the table. And uh, and I think what you saw was a lot of excitement. We drove a ton of buzz with that theatrical release, and we created a bunch of demand. Uh, and that demand we fulfilled on our subscription service. Our, our core business is making movies for our members to watch on Netflix, and that's where we're really focused. And everything else is a, a really a tactic to drive excitement and uh, around those films. So, you know, when you have like a massive global hit, like a like a Wednesday, um, you know, there seems to be so many ways you could drive monetization. I, I know, like for, for just a, just thing with Wednesday for a second, like like the Wednesday makeup was sold out in every yeah. Mac store in New York City. You could not yeah. buy it anywhere. Do you participate in these type, types of um, see, you know, consumer products, or is it just a way to you know fuel fans, you know, fuel engagement? It's a little bit mostly to fuel engagement and fuel fandom. We actually we do participate in it. Our our owned content we do drive a lot of uh, revenue in our consumer products business, but mostly the the uh, motivation is that is to drive fandom. And Greg alluded to this earlier, but this impact on the culture that this content can have on our platform. Uh, in our earnings letter, we mentioned the Lady Gaga song that you know came back after 11 years because of Wednesday. Uh, but that you know doesn't mention the four songs this year that we actually jammed back into the charts. Some that never charted, and some that were off the charts for 40 years, from Metallica, Kate Bush, The Cramps, uh, and that impact on culture. Uh, Sophia Car- Carson's music career took off because of Purple Hearts. Um, Jenny, Jenny Ortega picked up Jenny Ortega picked up 10 million social media followers in the first week when they launched on Netflix. And all of these folks who build these gigantic careers on Netflix then go on to have to own their own companies, sell their own makeup in, in many cases, uh, and become incredibly uh, um, powerful influencers. And all of that business is drawn because of our the impact of the, this distribution platform and this incredible UI that basically takes something like Wednesday, which was not a slam dunk for people to predict that people would love it as much as they do, and the UI could pick up on that activity in the early going of the release and push it out to where it's going to be, you know, one of our most watched shows in our history all over the world. Uh, and, and we do use consumer products as a way to uh, uh, intensify fandom, uh, and it could be anything from makeup from Wednesdays, you said, or maybe even a hand on your shoulder, Spence. Yeah, you never know where Wednesday is going to show up, or at least sing. Uh, you know, I, I didn't get my chance to kind of talk and 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 uh, at the risk of going back to the management changes and say, you know, I I am thrilled with the changes. Um, I'm going to miss maybe not seeing Reed as frequently as he's supporting uh, Greg and Ted. So I just uh, brought in a little bit of reinforcement with Thing, even though Reed's not going anywhere. But this way, I've got a little daily reinforcement. Sticking with content for a few minutes, the, the local language hits are building, but but so are your U.S. hits. How do you think about allocating your your seventeen billion dollars or so content budget between you know genres or languages? Like, is there any way like you can kind of parse it out? Yeah, it's a good, it's, it's a it's a big task. I'm watching where uh, viewing is growing and where it's suffering, and where we are under programming and over programming around the world is uh, is a big task of the of the job. 
um, Spence and his team support Bella and her team in making those allocations, figuring out between film and television, between local language and what is. And what's really interesting is there isn't that many, there aren't that many global hits, meaning that everyone in the world watches the same thing. Uh, Squid Game was very rare in that way. And Wednesday looks like one of those, too, very rare in that way. Uh, there, are there are countries like Japan, and, uh, by, as example, or even Mexico that have a real preference for local content, even when we have our big local hits. And every once in a while, something like Squid Game is even a big hit in the U.S. So think about in Q4, we, we launched uh, a top 10 non-English series nearly every week of the quarter from South Korea, from Spain, from Colombia, from Japan, from Poland. Uh, and so the benefit of that kind of local language investment and the, the benefit of doing that early uh, was that we've become exceptional on the ground in those countries. Uh, those content teams uh, generate not just content people want to see, but content that's leading the industry. Uh, to have um, Netflix produce the Academy Award entry film for both Mexico and Germany has never happened in the history of the Oscars. It's really phenomenal. And I mentioned earlier the All Quiet on the Western Front and the success of BAFTA. Um, and keep in mind that these investments are important because it actually increases the total addressable audience for Netflix around the world. Because if we were just doing English content for the world, uh, we would be mostly attracting Western-centric viewers. Uh, but our addressable audience is anyone who's watching TV anywhere in the world. Jessica, we have time for one or two last questions. Just want okay. to make sure you have a chance to so ask about up. margins or anything else you might want to ask. <laughs> so, so let's move away from content then. So free cash flow, first of all, like what an inflection point, $1.6 billion in 22, um, roughly $3 billion in 23, $4 billion plus probably in 24. Um, you know, can you, can you talk about, you know, historically you've been more built than, than than buy. Is there any change in philosophy as cash starts accelerating? Can you talk about overall capital priorities um, and what's driving that operating margin increase? Well, Spencer, why don't you go first with the capital allocation philosophy, if you if you like? Sure. Um, thanks, uh, Jessica. So as we wrote in the letter, no change at all to our capital um, structure, policy, or allocation um, um, uh, guidance, which is to first and foremost reinvest in the core business. Um, and selective acquisitions after that. Um, that those are the main priorities. Uh, beyond that, if we have uh, cash in excess of our minimum cash levels, which we equate, which is roughly two equates to two months of uh, revenue, uh, then we'll return that to shareholders uh, through our share buyback program. Yeah, and, and I'll, I can pick up with margins. I you know, can start with it's a, a bit of an explanation, but if you like, in terms of just in the in the nearish term, our outlook for 23, and then just generally what's driving our our outlook. But um, what you, what you saw in 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 the letter, and you, it kind of dates back, frankly. If we if we walk back to where we were in the beginning of 2022, when we saw slowing revenue growth, we said we're going to manage to a target operating margin of uh, 19 to 20 percent. FX neutral at those January 2022 rates, um, and we ended the year at 20%, so at the high end of that range. And now, as we kind of turn the page to, to 23, um, you know, you know, first I should say, with everything we talked about, we're we've got we're quite optimistic in terms of our path forward. I also just want to highlight there is also um, a kind of short-term, unusual amount of uh, um, less visibility than typical because what we, you know, these things we're talking about in terms of our revenue initiatives, whether it's scaling our ads platform, launching paid sharing, which hasn't globally rolled out yet. Um, these things um, are early days, and then also, you know, all multinationals have a level of macro uncertainty. So that, that's a bit of a caveat in terms of the variability in the forecast, but 
But what we see is um, we see with the, uh, our path to accelerating revenue growth and our high confidence there, that as we you know, turn forward to 23, we're guiding to now 21 to 22 percent FX neutral operating margins. That, that's those same January 2022 rates. Um, we're now in a new year, so we take it forward to, to January 23 to current rates, and that's a range of our operating margin guidance of 18 to 20 percent. So now FX neutral for 23, we're going to manage within that band to deliver at least within the 18 to 20 percent operating margin guide. So that is growing margins, growing absolute profit, and really what's reflected in there is that this um, we have high confidence in our ability to accelerate revenue throughout the course of the year as we scale ads and we launch paid sharing. We've got high confidence in improving um, you know, the service and, and uh, the strength of our content slate uh, with everything that, that Ted discussed here on the call. And we're also continuing to manage our, our cost structure with increasing discipline. You saw that in the back half of 22 with our slowing expense growth, and we'll carry that through similarly in 23. So that all lends itself to you know, our, our uh, focus, which is kind of healthy um, growing, you know, double-digit revenue growth and accelerating that revenue growth throughout the year, expanding our both our prof, absolute profit and profit margin, and then growing, uh, you know, positive free cash flow. So that's that's all reflected again with the big caveat that there's a bit less less visibility than typical in this in this near term. Um, that's something we'll continue to work work through. We'll obviously know a lot more over the next couple quarters, few quarters as we roll out page sharing, and we'll we'll update guidance as appropriate. But that's that's what plays through and then also plays through to that cash flow generation that you see where we believe with all those dynamics and managing at about the same level of cash content spend that we'll have more than $3 billion, at least $3 billion of free cash flow in the year. Thank you, uh, Spence, for that answer. And Jessica, uh, for that last question, all your questions. And before I turn it over to Reed for closing remarks, I just wanted to say as a longtime Netflix employee, as formerly prior to that as an analyst covering Netflix for many years, Reed, it has been a real privilege uh, to work alongside you, and on behalf of all Netflix employees, we thank you uh, for everything you've done uh, for us and the company over the past 25 years, and we're all super excited for the next chapter with you as our executive chairman and Ted and Greg as our co-CEOs. So with that, uh, over to you, uh, Reed, to take us home. Anyway, Spencer, I just had, because I can't just do it with the thing. I just want to thank Reed as well. Um, uh, this is not a goodbye, I know, but um, uh, it's been fantastic. You, you know, um, I, I couldn't have asked for um, a, a more incredible experience of the past four years with uh, with you as our, our leader learned so much uh, across everything from work to humanity and um, uh, I'm so thrilled with the next chapter with Greg and Ted and you and so uh, super excited and uh, and thanks Reed. Reed you might be muted. You're muted Reed. Thanks, you guys. Uh, certainly not goodbye. Uh, you know, I'm heavily invested in Netflix success. Um, so, uh, you know, it's been 83 earnings calls now, um, and I honestly have loved them. I love the interaction. Um, but it's time for uh, Greg and Ted and the team uh, to lead, and I'll be in the prep sessions, but this will be my last uh, earnings call uh, on screen. Um, overall, I would say our first 25 years were good, and I'm super excited about Netflix's next 25 years being great uh, under our broadened leadership team. Um, you know, pleasing our shareholders and members is so satisfying, and I just want to thank uh, all of you for your support and look forward to continued more progress.
Thank you, everyone.